What does the latest analysis of the Women's Health Initiative findings reveal? You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Mary Jane Minkin. Dr. Minkin is a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Yale University School of Medicine and the author of many books, including A Woman's Guide to Menopause and Perimenopause and A Woman's Guide to Sexual Health. Dr. Minkin, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having me with you today. Please give us a Women's Health Initiative Findings 101. Oh, boy, my favorite topic in the whole world here. <laughs> because, of course, it deals with menopause and then this uh, interesting study that was done. Basically, the Women's Health Initiative was a very large-scale study initiated by the NIH in the early 1990s. basically encompasses a whole bunch of studies about women's health. But one of the aspects that most people talk about primarily, of course, are the hormonal intervention aspects. And the question that, that the hormonal intervention trials were designed to answer is, does estrogen therapy, hormone replacement therapy, benefit cardiac health? Does it help prevent heart disease? And indeed, in the 1970s and 80s, a lot of data was emerging. Uh, observational trials, just looking at women who were taking estrogen versus those who weren't, to say, gee, you know, it looks like these ladies who are taking estrogen for menopausal uh, symptoms and stuff are doing better from a cardiac point of view. A lot fewer of them are having, you know, uh, angina and dying from heart attacks and things like that. And maybe this is a good thing. And of course, this is sort of the pre-statin era as well. So, gee, maybe we should start recommending estrogen to help prevent heart attacks. That was the basis of this thing. And of course, the biggest study that was out there was the the uh, nurses' study out of Boston, a uh, longitudinal study of 121,000 folks, was a pretty big study. And, and nurses, of course, are excellent observers, and you know they, they jot everything down about their health. They answer all the good questions, and some interesting data was emerging. So that basically, the uh, NIH initiated this trial because, of course, they said, "Well, these are lovely observational trials, but you know maybe there's what we call a healthy user bias. You know, maybe the ladies who are taking the estrogen are healthier than those who aren't. We want to do a prospective, randomized, double-blind controlled trial." and let's, you know, see what happens. And we're going to investigate cardiac endpoints. Also, while we're there, we'll look at a few other things, you know, health issues, things like bone fractures. And, of course, the, you know, downside risk, you know, does what are the effects on the breast or other potential cardiovascular ill things happening. So that's basically what the study was about. They had two arms of the study because women who have a uterus in place need to take progestins to protect the lining of the uterus from developing endometrial cancer. That we figured out in the 1970s. So if you have had a hysterectomy, you just need to take estrogen. Um, If you have a uterus in place, you needed to take both estrogen and progestin. And so those studies were initiated. The study of ladies with the uterus on estrogen plus progestin were 16,000 plus folks. The uh, arm with the ladies who've had a hysterectomy is 10,000 plus women. So these are pretty reasonable studies. And these women were enrolled and followed. And of course, this was double-blind prospective trial. So women didn't know whether they were taking the drug or placebo. And they were followed. Okay. And the trial was designed to go on for, you know, eight years, something like that, um, to see what the long-term outcomes were. However, the thing that sort 
sort of changed the uh, menopause scene here was when the uh, estrogen and progestin arm, and this is very important to realize, this, the estrogen-only arm continued. When the estrogen plus progestin arm was stopped in 2002, the reason they stopped it, there was sort of a preset endpoint, is if they noticed any slight increased risks in breast cancer, they decided the trial should stop. This was from a data safety monitoring board that was an external review organization, and they said, oops, there's a little bit of an increase in breast cancer, let's stop the trial. So that's really what happened. The estrogen-only arm actually did not show any increased risk of breast cancer, and that study continued, and they sort of stopped that in about 2004, a couple of years later, just because they didn't think they were getting much really further exciting data out of the study. That's really what it boiled down to. So that's sort of the study in a nutshell, and then, you know, they have different findings out of it. And then, of course, what happened is that the initial analysis of the data um, said, oh, my goodness, not only was there this slight increased risk of breast cancer, but, oh, my goodness, this really hurt the heart, didn't help the heart. And everybody was like, huh, what? This is crazy, you know, <laughs> that sort of stuff. And so for the last several years, people started, you know, reevaluating it. And to put in a nutshell what, why the study was pretty much reversed, or not reversed, but as far as reinterpreted by many folks, is if you look at who the WHI was studying, the average age of participants, actually both arms, was 63, um, many years postmenopausal, the average participant was not the world's healthiest individual because, of course, this was supposed to be a primary prevention trial to take healthy ladies and keep them healthy. Well, the average BMI of the participants was 28 and a half, which is a little chubby. Half of the women were current or former smokers. A third of the women were chronic hypertensives on medications. So these weren't the world's healthiest cohort. We're supposed to be looking at women with, you know, really no cardiac disease. And many people started saying, well, heck, you know, this lady, these group of ladies ain't the world's healthiest, and they're just waiting for their heart disease to hit them. They may not have had it yet. And then so what's happened in the last several years have been reanalyses of data looking at women who are more proximate to menopause. In other words, in the people in the study who were indeed, you know, right after menopause, what were the effects in them versus the women who were older? And indeed, one thing that most people in the United States still don't realize about the WHI, 20% of the participants on initiation were between 70 and 79 which I think is an astounding fact um, because certainly that's a cohort of women that we would never start estrogen therapy on. <laughs> it's like, I'm not giving her estrogen. But again, to give the founders of the study, you know, true due, they were looking at this as a quick cardioprotective mechanism. And, you know, I think they were saying, well, gee, women in their 70s are at high risk for heart disease. What if we give them estrogen? Would that help? So indeed, if you look at the mechanism, of cardiac protection with estrogen, that it actually is very effective. You know, as in research studies in animals and stuff like that, and other subsequent studies have shown that if you initiate estrogen therapy close to the menopause, it probably does give benefits. Once there is established cardiac disease, if you give it very late, it probably does nothing to help. Uh, it may actually hurt. So I think that sort of explains the uh, confusion about the interpretation of the data. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Mary Jane Minkin, discussing the latest analysis of the Women's Health Initiative findings. Dr. Minkin, what are you advising your patients now because of the reinterpretation? Well, I think the most important thing that's come out of the reinterpretation is to say to patients, you know, hey, this 
study really is looking at long-term issues. Most women are initiating hormone therapy for short-term relief of symptoms. And that we can reassure patients that if you're having hot flashes and your last period was six months ago and you're sweating your brains out and you're not sleeping so good, and, you know, many of these women, you know, if they've tried a conservative non-medical intervention, you know, it has, if, if, if it, now many people are going to get great relief. I mean, many people are going to take something like Remy Feminine Black Cohosh and they're going to feel fine and that's terrific, but there are those women who won't. And if somebody's in that category, you know, and she says, I, you know, I really am thinking about hormone therapy, I think that you can reassure her that this is a safe modality, that it's not bad for her heart at all, contrary to the previous anxieties expressed in 2002 when the WHI came out. And the other thing that I think that we can reassure patients is as far as when you look at the breast cancer data, there really is no significant increased risk of breast cancer in the first five years of therapy. And again, most of these women aren't going to be taking it but for a couple of years. So you can safely say to your patient, you know, hormones are fine. They're going to give your patient good relief. You're not causing her any cardiac risk. You're not causing her a risk of breast cancer. And she'll feel better. So I think that you can safely say to somebody, these are expectations and don't be afraid. I mean, what happened to women after the WHI, you know, as I say, I wouldn't have wanted to be a fish in the United States in, you know, the summer of 2002 because all the way the ladies went to their medicine cabinets and flushed down all their estrogen tablets. You know, boom, you know, there it was. Um, You know, there's a lot of estrogen in the water. But basically, now, I think that we can reassure our patients that certainly, you know, short-term therapy is quite safe. And then again, one of the other things that I think that you need to emphasize to patients is individualization of care. You know, you take her individual profile into account. There may be people you'd recommend longer-term therapy for. Um, but certainly for almost everybody, short-term therapy is quite safe. For women who were on long-term hormone replacement therapy, are the risks undone when they stop? the therapy? Well, that's a a very good question. And the answer is, don't know. (laughs) What we can say to people is that if you're on estrogen, for example, for prevention of bone loss, okay, that's certainly something that actually is still used. I mean, you know, there's still an indication for estrogen for osteoporosis prevention. But the issue is that if somebody goes off her estrogen, yes, she will start losing bone. Okay, there's no question about it. Um, however, she's certainly going to be in better shape than she was would have been if 10 years earlier she hadn't taken the estrogens. Her bone, she's starting with better bones now at age 60 or 65, whatever, than she would have had had she not been on the estrogen. So that you can tell her. However, she will start losing bone, and that is actually something you have to be very careful. If you have somebody who has been on long-term HRT and she's going off, just be careful monitoring her bones to say, okay, you're not getting permanent protection from this. We've got to keep an eye on your bones and see what they're doing now that you're off of your estrogen. So that's a very good point. You do want to monitor these people. But of course, remember, I mean, if somebody's taking statins for their lipids, you know, and they stop taking them, well, they're going to not get the benefit from the statins anymore. So I don't think it's that dissimilar to, you know, somebody uh, who stops statin therapy. What are bioidentical hormones? Oh, another one of my favorite topics. <laughs> Bioidentical hormones, really, I mean, is, is an interesting concept. And the person who's done the most of the promotion of this recently is Suzanne Summers, who's been very popular on TV and stuff talking about bioidentical hormones. And what she's saying is that there are certain kinds of hormones that are identical to what the body makes, and there are certain hormones that are used for so-called hormone replacement therapy, which aren't identical to what the own, a woman's own ovaries make. Well, the thing that's interesting is, I mean, I think that's a lovely concept. She makes it sound like this is the newest and best thing since sliced bread. We have been using bioidentical hormones for 20 years. This is not new. For example, the hormone that is bioidentical to my hormones when I was making them because I'm postmenopausal now, but 17-beta estradiol 
is the most active estrogen that the ovaries make. Well, I can get you 17-beta-estradiol at your corner pharmacy. You know, you don't have to go to a compounding pharmacy to get 17-beta-estradiol. Basically, all of the transdermal patches that are made in the United States for pharmacological interventions are 17-beta-estradiol. They are plant sources. They are from soy and sweet potatoes. They are organic sources, and they're bioidentical. Many pills, many of your estrogen replacement therapy combinations are 17-beta-estradiol. So I've got that. I can also get natural progesterone. There's a uh, product called Prometrium, which is natural progesterone. And it's in a peanut oil base. What could be more organic than that? That basically you can get at your corner pharmacy. So, you know, although the concept of bioidentical hormones sounds very lovely, this is not new. We've been using it for years. So I think they're fine, but I don't think it's novel. Is there a spray for menopausal symptoms? The answer is yes. There are a whole new line of products of gels coming out, and a spray just got approved, I think, two, three weeks ago, something by the FDA. It's not commercially available yet, but it will be soon. And this, again, is sort of a variety of a transdermal. And the thing that I'm really happy about as a menopause clinician is choice. I've got a lot of options to offer my patients. And again, let's get back to the mantra of individualization of care. Some women like pills. Some women hate pills. Some women like patches. Some women hate patches. Some women like gels. That's great. Some of them like sprays. I like to have an array of options to offer the patient. Dr. Minkin, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Susan. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.